I invite you to remain standing as today we read from the 19th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, this familiar story of Zacchaeus. Let us hear these holy words. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man who was there by the name of Zacchaeus and a chief tax collector was very wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he is going to be a guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of God for the people of God. We again say a word of greeting this morning to all of you. We're thankful for your presence here in the sanctuary, for sure. We also say a word of greeting to those watching on television and online, especially those watching in Carlisle and McCrary and Jadonia. And we're grateful for everybody who also watches in our hospitals and nursing homes. We hope that it is a meaningful time for you as well. We want to remind you immediately following this service of worship, we hope that you'll go into the Scarlet Gathering Hall for our Connect Fair. It is literally what we hope it will be by the title, to connect you with the different ministries of the church. So immediately following this service of worship, we hope instead of heading home or straight to your Sunday school class, you will make an effort to go into there and see all the ministry opportunities that are a part of the makeup of this church and sign up to be a part of something. Now, you will notice at the top of your order of service, it says classic worship. We have changed the name of our two services of worship from traditional and contemporary to classic and modern. And let me tell you why. Something that is classic transcends generations. A classic car, classic literature, a classic movie, something that goes beyond one generation to the next and is just as meaningful to the following generation as the one that preceded it. So we want to be more intentional about classic worship being the style of worship that involves everybody regardless of age. Contemporary worship has taken on kind of over time an understanding that it's for baby boomers and older because when it was started, people like me were much younger. Now it's called modern worship so that it is very current in its style of worship and in the music. So we've changed those. They're little things, but we think they're important in terms of being trying to be able to articulate what it is, which I'm not doing very well, what it is we're trying to do and why we're trying to do it in the life of the church. So we now have classic worship, and you will see that on signage uh, and on our website from now on. We're grateful for your presence today. Let us pray. Oh Lord, in the silence of this moment, prepare our hearts and our minds to hear your word for us this day and work your will in our lives. Amen. When I was in seminary, my parents' home burned down in the middle of the night. I rushed 
to be with them. My father was severely burned in the fire and was hospitalized. I went to the house to see the remains of my parents' home. Firefighters were still there. One of them came up to me and asked me who I was, and I told him. He said, I want to let you know how fortunate your parents and your sister are that they got out of the house in time. He said, oftentimes we find people who have died in a house fire whose body lies at the door leading outside. I said, well, that doesn't make much sense to me. Why is that? Why wouldn't they simply open up the door and exit the burning home? He said, that's why your family is very fortunate. Because oftentimes, fires that take place in the night, before they realize it, those who are sleeping have breathed in the fumes and the smoke, and they quickly become disoriented because of their surroundings. They no longer know literally how to open a door, even if it's right in front of them. So you're very fortunate, you and your family. Freedom right on the other side, said the firefighter, oftentimes is a thousand miles away. Jesus, the resurrected Christ in the book of Revelation says, here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and eat with you and you with me. There was a man by the name of Zacchaeus who was very disoriented in life. He had let greed and the desire for power to confuse him. And there was something about him that sought something else. But for whatever reason, he was unable to step through that door to freedom, to new life, until one day the one who said, here I am, I stand at the door and knock, and if you hear my voice, I will come in, called Zacchaeus by name. Zacchaeus, come down and I will go to your house. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. Jesus, the one who calls him by name, literally invites himself into Zacchaeus' life, and Zacchaeus opens up the door and hears the voice and responds and literally eats with Jesus. It is a story about a man who was very confused, disoriented, didn't know where to go and where to turn. But one day, Jesus enters Jericho. The scripture tells us he is passing through. And as it oftentimes is the case in scripture, there is a large crowd that is gathered around Jesus. And as he is walking along in the midst of the crowd, this one by the name of Zacchaeus, who is short in stature, longs to see our Lord, but is unable to do so, so he climbs up into a tree. And that's where Jesus sees him, and that's where suddenly the one who was short in stature now stands tall in grace. Jesus extends grace to someone who was reviled, one who was despised and hated. Zacchaeus was not only a tax collector, but he was a chief tax collector. He was very complicit in a very corrupt system that took advantage of lots of people including the vulnerable. 
and he himself had benefited significantly from that. And notice what happens here. Instead of Jesus condemning someone like Zacchaeus, what Jesus does is instead extend to him grace. It really doesn't make, make a lot of sense to some of us sometimes who want to believe that those kinds of people should pay the price for what it is they've done. And then, after being remorseful and repentant, they can come and be a part of the community we call the body of Christ. But in order for that to happen, Zacchaeus has to respond to Jesus accordingly. Jesus calls him by name. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' life. And as a result, Zacchaeus receives that gift of grace, and it changes him dramatically. He calls Jesus Lord. He knows exactly who Jesus is. Isn't it interesting? Why did Zacchaeus climb into a tree? Had he heard indeed that it was true that Jesus associated with sinners and tax collectors? Was he just curious because there was a large crowd that had gathered around? We don't know the circumstances around which it was that Zacchaeus would climb up into the tree, but he does. And as a result of that, his life was forever changed by the grace of Jesus Christ. Suddenly, Zacchaeus says, after being with Jesus, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody, I'm going to pay them back four times as much as I took from them. He is literally a new creation in Christ Jesus. This one who was so short in stature that people looked down on literally and figuratively is now someone who stands tall in the grace of Jesus Christ. But see, that's what happens to all of us. All of us, like Zacchaeus, are in need of God's grace, God's undeserved love for us that we don't deserve, we're not entitled to, we don't have a right to, and we get it anyway. Because God is God, and God chooses to love us. Sin diminishes us. Sin makes us feel small. We all know what that's like. We all know what it's like to be shamed and to feel ashamed. We all know what it's like to make mistakes and have regret. The good news for all of us is that when we are in those kinds of positions in life, just like Zacchaeus, disoriented by life, unable to get through to the other side where there is freedom and hope, in the meantime, as we walk aimlessly around, suddenly we are infused with the grace of God that love and mercy and forgiveness that enables us not to be diminished anymore or to feel small, but to be able to stand tall and deal with the consequences of our behavior and move beyond it to be who God would have us to be. That's what grace is all about. Zacchaeus didn't deserve it. He wasn't entitled to it, and he got it anyway. And as a result, there were people who were unhappy. They criticized Jesus. There he is again, eating with those kind of folk. But Jesus says that the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, what Jesus, of course, means by that is I go among those people who are disoriented, those people who are wallowing in sin, which at one time or another is the case with all of us. 
Every single one of us, without exception, fall into that category one time or another. And Jesus says, I seek you out. In the same way he sought out Zacchaeus, he seeks us out. And when Zacchaeus responds to that grace and changes the very person that he is, Jesus says, and salvation has come to this house today. He has been saved. He has been spared. He has been made whole and become the person God would have him to be because he responded to the grace extended to him. Jesus seemed to have an affinity for people who oftentimes were disenfranchised or looked down upon as inferior in some way or another. Jesus oftentimes entered the, li the lives of those kinds of people and either offered some kind of healing or he offered some kind of gift like the gift of grace and forgiveness. There is a man who lives among the tombs. He is demon-possessed. Nobody would have had any sympathy for him at all. He was a danger in the eyes of many. But Jesus encounters him, casts out the demons, and the scripture tells us that this man is now in his right mind. He is freed from that which tormented him. He was disoriented, having to live among rotting corpses. Now he was alive, stepping into the freedom that God extends to us by God's grace over to the other side where there is life and hope. Jesus oftentimes did that with lepers, for example. In the scriptures, leper, leprosy is simply any kind of skin condition. They lumped them all together. And people were fearful of catching whatever it is someone else might have had. It could have been psoriasis. It could have been poison ivy. It could have been leprosy. But anybody with any kind of skin condition had to remove herself or himself from the community. And if anybody approached, they had to say out loud, I am unclean three times. Can you imagine living life and the one statement you can make when you encounter somebody else is that you're unclean, you're dirty, you're not to be touched? And Jesus went out of his way to take those kind of marginalized, ostracized people, and the first thing he did was touch them. An extraordinary gift of grace a statement of inclusion, that you're a part of the family, that you matter to me, that I love you. And in his own way, Zacchaeus experiences that because of Jesus. There's a story where one day Jesus has an encounter with a woman who has been stooped over for 18 years. That means for 18 years, all she can see is the ground beneath her feet. She can't look people squarely in the eyes. And Jesus tells her to stand up straight. And she stands up straight. And she's given new life. Now remember, she would have been one who was considered punished because if she had an affliction, she must have done something to deserve it. But Jesus says to her, now you know you are a daughter of Abraham. You know what that means? It's Jesus' way of saying to her, you're a part of the family. You're somebody. You matter. It is this extraordinary gift that Jesus offers people who are oftentimes frowned upon or looked down upon as inferior. And the very thing that Jesus says to the woman who is stooped over, he says to Zacchaeus, you are a son of Abraham. 
You're a part of the family. Now, wait a minute. Someone like Zacchaeus gets to be a part of the family? That doesn't seem to make a lot of sense, does it? This guy has ripped people off. He's taken advantage of people over the years. He has made a lot of money as a result of that. And you're telling me he gets to be a part of the family? And Jesus, in his own way, reminds us that that's what grace is all about. All of us at one time or another have been ostracized or alienated by our sin. We've stepped out of our role in being a follower of Jesus Christ, and we have wandered aimlessly. And just like, as is the case with Zacchaeus, Jesus seeks us out, calls us by name, and invites himself into our lives all over again. That is grace. And I think one of the reasons that Jesus had such an affinity for those kinds of people was because those kinds of people were a part of Jesus' family tree. If you read the very beginning of the Gospel of Matthew, from the very beginning, it starts out what appears to be in a very boring way. It just lists the lineage of the family tree of Jesus all the way to his birth. But within that family tree are some little nuggets. There are women's names, first of all, listed, which is highly unusual. But some of those women were those kind. For example, within Jesus' family tree, there is Tamar. She dressed as a woman of the night in order to take advantage of her father-in-law. She's a part of the family tree of Jesus. There is Rahab, the harlot. There is Bathsheba, the adulteress. They're all listed in the family tree. And I would imagine many of us have a family tree. If we could do it, we'd mark a few names out and then hand it to somebody else to read. But those names are listed there intentionally as if to say, look how imperfect humanity is. Even Jesus' own family fits into that category. But for every single one of us, this gift of grace is something that Jesus longs to give all of us. I love what Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says, quoting from the prophet Hosea, Jesus says, I require mercy, not sacrifice. You know what Jesus means by that? Because in Jesus' day and time, keep in mind that a sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, was the greatest way in which one could show her or his faith and commitment to God. Make a sacrifice. And Jesus says, I require mercy, not sacrifice. In other words, the greatest way to show your faith and your commitment to God is to extend mercy not make some kind of sacrifice. In other words, our responsibility is to do the very thing that Jesus does for us, and that is extend mercy and grace and forgiveness and love to the rest of the world as the body of Christ and as individual Christians. I require mercy, not sacrifice. And that's exactly what Jesus does for Zacchaeus. Notice Jesus never says to Zacchaeus, come down, go before the priest and make your sacrifice. What Jesus does instead is extend mercy and grace, and as a result of that, the one who is short in stature is now tall in grace, and he empties himself, giving of himself back to the very ones he took advantage of. As a follower of Jesus Christ, firmly implanted in relationship with him now, as a result of the mercy extended to him. 
There's an old story about a little orphan boy who was filthy dirty who knocked on an orphanage in London. The owner of the orphanage came to the door, looked down on the little boy and said, who are you? He told him his name and he said, who recommends you for this orphanage? The little boy wearing a torn and tattered, worn out coat simply holds up his coat and says, this coat recommends me. Certainly this is enough for me to be loved. My tattered life allows me to be here, does it not? And he was welcomed in. When we come in to be a part of the body of Christ, however we do that, there are times in life when we wear, if you will, a tattered coat. We are torn apart, we are broken, we are hurt by what life has done to us and the mistakes we have made along the way. And the good news is, what Jesus does is the same thing for us that he did for Zacchaeus. He calls us by name. He welcomes us into the family. We call the body of Christ. And he says, I'm glad you're here, daughter of Abraham, son of Abraham. You're a part of the family. Now, I need to know that because there are times in life when I can be pretty rotten. And I need to know and to have the reassurance that God still loves me when I may not love myself. One of the reasons I don't oftentimes stand in the pulpit and berate you over and over again and tell you what a sinful, shameful person you are. You're all going to hell, you bunch of heathens. One of the reasons that we don't do that is because, look, I already know how rotten I am. Nobody needs to tell me that or remind me of that. What I need to be reminded of is that God can still love me anyway despite my mistakes and my shortcomings and my failures. And that's what grace is all about. It is a reminder that God loves us, that God claims us, and God longs to be in relationship with us, no matter what we have done or left undone in the world. The week my parents' house burned down, I had a paper due. I went to the professor when I was in seminary, and I said, listen, my parents' house burned down last night. We got a paper due toward the end of the week. Could you give me an extension, please? And my professor said, no. That paper is due on Thursday. If you don't get it done, you get a zero. And since there are only two papers in the class, you won't pass my class. At first, I thought he was joking. And then I realized he was completely serious. I stormed out of there. I was furious. How insensitive and uncaring can a man be? My parents' house just burned down. My dad's in the hospital. What in the world is going on? So I threw something together. Never mind, I should have been working on the paper several weeks earlier. I threw something together and turned it in. It was awful. It was trash. But I turned it in, and when I got my grade back, it was awful. And he told me it was trash. It just infuriated me all the more. At the end of the semester, I calculated what my grade was going to be, and it was going to be awful. The day before we were to get our grades, he called me and said, come to my office. So I rehearsed on the way to his office what I was going to say to him. I had it all worked out. I was ready to unload on him. Who does he think he is? How can anybody be so uncaring, show a lack of compassion and all of that stuff, ready to go? And when I knocked on his door, he said, come in, John. He knew it was me. I have a strong knock, evidently. 
I walked in, and he said, before you say anything, and I know you have something to say, I want you to know I changed your grade. You now made the highest grade in the class. And I thought for a minute, is he joking this time? And he said, here's what I want to say to you. I'm proud of you for turning in that paper under such difficult circumstances. And I could have given you the grade you earned, but it was a terrible grade. But I understand that grace is very much a part of who we are and what we're all about. And so you have just made the highest grade in the class. Congratulations. You didn't earn it. You're not entitled to it, and I'm giving it to you anyway. And I walked out of there crying. I didn't deserve it. I wasn't entitled to it. I didn't have a right to it. My literal grade was not good. But someone came along and said, listen, I'm going to do something for you. You don't deserve because I want to. That's what happened to Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus deserved punishment and ridicule. And that's not what he got. But what he got changed him. And it changed others because he was changed. This man who was short in stature became tall in grace. So our job in the life of the church is not to pass judgment. We are going to err on the side of grace. When people come here, it's not our job to talk about who they are or what they've done. Our job is to say, son of Abraham, daughter of Abraham, welcome. Grace awaits you. We're all messed up. And just like Zacchaeus, we're all recipients of the grace of God, which allows us no longer to feel diminished and small. But we can stand tall and, like Zacchaeus, try to do it better the next time. That's grace. We don't earn it, and we get it anyway. Hallelujah. Amen.